When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the GM Shuffle. One of the best players on the Montreal Canadiens said, we hated Scotty Bowman for 363 days a year, and on the 364th day we held the trophy up in our hands. We loved him. That's essentially the job of the coach, right? You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and Visa. And I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. Michael Lombardi, you've been making the rounds. People want to talk to you about your Philadelphia yeah. 76ers. They want to talk about Josh Harris, the commander's owner. Well, I guess owner in waiting. Uh, you've been making the rounds, buddy. How are we doing this week? Well, I'm doing great. You know, I, I'm I'm free. I, you know, I enjoy it. I'm I'm <laughs> kind of like basking in what I, the I told you so moment. I mean, this hasn't been really hard lap. to see this. <laughs> well, it's not a victory lap. It's just I say, you know, you can't build a team on a culture that doesn't exist. And mm. I felt like it, it, it was there. It's obvious, and it's going to continue that way. And then I watched Daryl Morey's press conference yesterday after the firing of Doc Rivers, and it just to me reinforces that this is an organization that only sees talent. It only sees stars. And there's no program to make the stars work harder. There's no program to demand excellence. There's no player development. It's all based on let me get as many stars as I can and then we'll go forward. When, when Maury said in the press conference, he said, I let the coaches kind of handle the strategy. Well, to me, it, you know, that's right. The coaches do handle the strategy. But how the players fit within the strategy is really a critical component. And so this isn't, you know, we're going to give Picasso a bunch of paint and let him paint. It's got to be orchestrated. And so collecting talent is what they do isn't really the optimum answer. Yeah, I think Morey has always been, that's one one of the criticisms for Daryl Morey going back to Houston and other stops there is that he doesn't really think about how things fit. He just acquires as many talented pieces all together and says, all right, coach, here you go. Make it work. 
And that's kind of been the situation for the Philadelphia 76ers and the situation for him in Houston when he was with the Rockets and James Harden was the face of that franchise. You mentioned the coaching aspect of it. Well, he went ahead and fired Doc Rivers. Surprise, surprise. We all expected it. I mean, we talked about it before the game even started. If Doc Rivers were to lose this game seven, is he done? Well, Doc Rivers is now fired. I thought it was interesting, though, what he said at the press conference in a quote, he said that. Embiid was was close with Doc, but was also shocked about the change. Are, are we just lying here? Like, like there, there's no, no way that he would have been shocked. Like, like we like we we all should have seen this coming, right? Right. Well, I'm told reliably what happened was they told Doc they were going to pick up his extension. I guess Doc Doc probably had uh, probably a three year deal plus two, you know, or a four year deal plus one, whatever it is. <laughs> so they told Doc he was going to pick up as an extension. And then Harden basically let him know. And this is from someone in the league, uh, a source that I have in the league. Someone told him, someone said that, that Harden went to him and said, I'm not coming back if Doc's back. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> everything changed. Elton Brand, the assistant GM, and Darrell went into a coach's meeting and basically kicked out the assistants and then they fired Doc. And so, you know, he could deny that that Harden has no influence in this. The perception is, and perhaps the reality, based on the story that I just shared, is that he does. But let's peel back some layers here. You know, one thing, you're right, Maury's always been about stars. He's never been about culture. But he's always been about analytics. And what I find really fascinating is, is that he has this complete love affair with Harden that analytics is supposed to eliminate bias. So if you're in love with analytics, analytics is just basically is there to remove bias. You can't, you can't be, I like this player. I'm, I'm, I'm close to this guy, but because he's in love with Harden, even though the analytics don't support the Harden play, he still wants to go down that road. So why even go to the Sloan conference next year? It's kind of a, it's kind of interesting, right? If you're going to if you're making your decisions with bias and you claim you're an analytic from the analytical community, you're violating their code of conduct. Which I think is an even broader discussion because analytics and like kind of the formulas that they cook up to try to measure stuff. And a lot of it in sports is with catch all statistics. Like, Hey, here's one number that should tell you the value of what a player is worth. Like NBA, there's so many advanced numbers like value over replacement player or win shares per 48. And in Harden's prime, he was really dominant in those statistics, but what those statistics factor in what, and, and the birth of those statistics come from somebody who says that, Hey, the most efficient shots in a basketball game are three pointers, free throws and layups. So somebody is already putting their bias into the, the into the formula. So like, like the, the formula is biased to begin with, and then it's going to gravitate towards players who do those things really well. And that's what James Harden has done really well in his career. Not as much anymore in terms of the layups and doesn't get to the line as often as he used to. But like, I think it's always tricky with analysts because we talk about how, hey, this is all a non-biased formula, but it, it's not non-biased because it was created by a human. So there has to be some sort of bias involved, which is funny. Like it kind of brings us back to the whole point of removing bias, which was what they accused all the people who look at the eye test. Right. You know, the other thing I think it's interesting is, is that they can't evaluate their own team. I mean, Philly can't evaluate their own team. I listened to Mari talk about, you know, yesterday, what's wrong with the team. And no one, no one asked him in the entire – now, Howard Eskin was going after him, but he never answered Howard's questions. No one asked him directly, do you feel like Joel Embiid's in great condition? No one asked him that. 
He kept talking about how Embiid's improved his game over time and never underestimate Joel Embiid. Never answered the question. Never, nobody ever answered the question. Is he in great shape? Is he a dominant player? Is he in as great a shape as Jokic is? I mean, watch Jokic from the other night. Tell me that, you know, they're in great shape. No one asked that. I think there's a sense of an over-evaluation of their franchise, of the players, right? And because they can't evaluate their own, that becomes a problem. This has been Philly's problem going back since this whole process started. They're not very good at evaluating talent. And if you can't evaluate your own players, how the hell are you going to evaluate players from outside? So the team-building aspect of Philly is wrong. You know, as it relates to Doc, sure, Embiid loves Doc. You know why he loves Doc? Because Doc probably doesn't make Doc. him work hard. Well, Doc you know, coddles Doc, he lo- He's going to love the guy that, that gives him the path of least resistance. Of course that's the case. If I were the 76ers general manager, I want to hire the hardest guy. I mean, you know, I'm going to hire somebody who's going to demand from the players, hold them accountable. I mean, I've been reading for the last eight years how there's been no accountability within the organization. They hired Doc, and Doc has never held anybody accountable. Doc's a player-friendly coach. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means because, you know, I, you know, somebody sent me a text the other day. It was a great quote. He said that one of the best players on the Montreal Canadiens said, we hated Scotty Bowman for 363 days a year. And on the 364th day, we held the trophy up in our hands. We loved them. I mean, that's <laughs> essentially the job of the coach, right? We got to push the players. Bill Walsh used to say all the time to me in a car when I would drive him, he said, you know, if the assistants are happy, we're not a good team. We're not pushing the players enough. Mm. I've got to push the assistants. The assistants have to push the players. It's a chain of command that I, I've got to drive the assistants to then drive the players. You know, somebody's got to drive the bus, you know? And right now, the 76ers bus is being driven by Ralph Cramden from the Honeymooners. I mean, it's like it, it, it doesn't have any, you know, just make the stops. Everybody's okay, you know? So, and so that that's the bigger issue, and that's where – I think we lose an element in analytics. The other point I want to make before you jump in is Mm -hmm. analytics allows everybody who's never been a part of a team, who's never built a team, have a say. It makes everybody equal. Mm -hmm. No, and I think there's room in sports for analytics because it's, hey, this is another data point to where we can maybe cross-reference some things, not go all the way in with it and just say, hey, this is all we're going to use our judgment based off. This is our entire compass. But I think it's to kind of balance off and get some other ideas here. But I think the the question I want to ask you is you talked about how somebody has to kind of essentially be the bad cop in the organization and push people to brinks that they don't want to be pushed towards saying, hey, we hate the coach 363 days of the year. And on day 364, we hold up the trophy. Is there a fine line in that within an organization, whether it's in football, basketball, if it's in a corporate office or wherever, is there a fine line between having a little bit of maybe let's call it a little bit of misery to get people to kind of motivate them and do the best job of their ability? Or can you also have a culture that's still built around? All right. Like we still value everybody. We still have fun and we still all do this. But like, hey, a lot is expected and a lot is demanded of you in order to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Well, I mean, it's hard to have accountability without confrontation. How do you hold somebody accountable if you're not willing to say they didn't do their job? They're not, they didn't do what they needed to do. So, like, you got to have accountability, and somebody has to be the voice of accountability. Look, I asked you to do, we are asking you to do this. There's a standard of performance that has to be met. And if we don't meet this, 
How do we do it? Look, the problem we have is we have this vision of champions don't have to work hard. They just get born there. You know, the struggle, the, the endurance, the perseverance that it takes to become a champion, the pain that you go through to get to that point has to be experienced. It just can't happen on the fly. And so we think it's a Hollywood movie that we're all just going to win this because the ending, we write the script. It's not. I know it, it, it's not true. You have to find a way to toughen your team. You have to find a way to put your team in situations that they overcome and they persevere and they fight their way through it. You know, it, this is why you become a champion. This is how you do it. You know, this is how the, you know, the Giants with the Parcells era, they had to go through their experience. They lose in Chicago in a playoff game and they build off of that. They're tough minded. You grind your way to championships if you don't experience it, if you just think people are going to learn it, then it's never going to happen. You know, that, that kind of reminds me of the, the two minute clip from the last dance, the Chicago bulls documentary that everybody, obviously we watched during COVID. And I think it's in the, at the end of episode five, or it might've been at the end of episode six, when Michael Jordan was talking about, Hey, saying like, Hey, like people might watch this and say that I'm a tyrant, but that's because you've never won anything. Like, like I didn't ask my teammates to do something that I didn't do myself. Like, and he's talking about kind of like the, the building of a championship team and like what's required. And that pretty much sums up what you've been saying here in this segment. Yeah. Because I mean, and B doesn't even have any remote idea on how to be a champion. And you can, you can say he's the greatest center of all time. You could say he's elitely talented. I mean, I don't dispute that he's elitely talented. I would dispute the fact that he's not the greatest center of all time. When Bill Russell's 10-0 and in championship games, I think he averaged like 18 points, had 30 rebounds. I mean, so, like, don't tell me that. Like, champions play their best in championships. Yeah, and I think everybody who's ever won a championship has always talked about the sacrifice that's required. Like, you have to pay the price to win a championship. That's come out of every champion's mouth in any sport or any walk of life. And uh, it's something that we hope that your team one day can uh, get so we can get the, the Broadway parade going down there and they can grease the poles in Philly. We'll be back to talk some NFL here. Devontae Adams and the Raiders coming up next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 
You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. There could be something brewing, Michael, here in Las Vegas, Nevada, because earlier this week, all-pro wide receiver Devontae Adams sat down with The Ringer, your friends over there at The Ringer, and talked about how he's not necessarily seeing eye-to-eye with the Raiders in terms of a vision for an offense. This is the exact quote from that article. He said, the front office thinks that this is the best bet for us right now to put us in a position to be urgent. We don't see eye-to-eye on what we think is best for us right now. I'm going to have to buy into this and try to be as optimistic as possible. It's not what I expected to happen, but it's something that's the reality now. What does Devontae Adams mean by that quote? Well, I mean, I can't speak for Devontae, and, but I think ultimately, you know, when you quarterback that he was in college with is no longer there, I, I don't get the sense that the Raiders are rebuilding. I, I think the Raiders have to add talent. I mean, how many draft picks are no longer with the team? I mean, the, the Raiders are not a team that, that walked into. And I know, you know, Josh McDaniels walked into a team that made the playoffs. But as we know, winning, making the playoffs one year to the next is rather fleeting. So, look, it's like anything. I think Adams wants to win. He went there to win a title. He knows he's the best player. He proved that. I think part of the other of the quote was, hey, I proved that I can be a great player without Aaron Rodgers, which never was in doubt in my mind, but it was enhanced. But he never won a title in Green Bay either. So I think to me, he's taken a, an approach of like a lot of players, like is this offseason going to be fruitful for my career? Are we going to win? And I, I think that's a healthier way to say it. I, I'm not – I'm I'm not sure he's wrong in what he's saying. I don't I don't agree that he believes there's a rebuild because the 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 Raiders have been in rebuild mode for the last two. They have to be because of all the draft picks they don't have. So look, I I think they got to have a one on one conversation with it with Dave Ziegler or Josh McDaniels and find out like what where are we not on the same page? Remember, being on the same page and being aligned are two different things. Mm-hmm. And if you're Dave Ziegler and you're Josh McDaniels, you've got to make sure that you're aligned with Devontae Adams. Is he aligned with you? Because he's instrumental in that locker room. Because Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be aligned. You know, the, the kids I think they drafted will be aligned. You know, Jacoby Myers will be aligned. The players that they've added to the team, I see a team that's more aligned than ever than they've been. Now, it, they need their best player to be aligned as well. And it's going to be a tough season here for the Raiders coming up here just because of the division that they play in. It's very competitive. The odds makers aren't giving them much of a chance to get to the postseason. They're the long shot to win the AFC West. I don't know if this would lead to Devontae Adams becoming a disgruntled wide receiver. I know they, they took a photo with Dave Ziegler earlier this week to like almost show like a, a sign of unity saying, hey, like I, I said my comments, but like I'm not like asking for a trade or anything in that regard here. But we did have like the kind of the rumblings around the time when they did sign Jimmy Garoppolo, Michael, to where people thought that, oh, like Devontae Adams, he was maybe hoping for Aaron Rodgers in a trade or he was hoping that some sort of other thing here. We're we're all cool on that front, right? The the Devontae Adams, Jimmy G front and this connection here, like it sounds like we're we're all good from, from my read on this. I mean, I think it takes one win and everybody's good, right? I mean, everybody goes into the offseason with some apprehension. Right. You know, the the Raiders don't have that positivity that the Lions had. 
you last now as they enter the season, right? The Lions have this, oh, my God, we're on. Both teams didn't make the playoffs. One team, you know, had opportunities to win a lot of close games and couldn't do it. The other team had an opportunity to, to beat Carolina, and Carolina gave up 350 yards. But the perception's way different. And I think unless you're really in that building, unless you feel like the players are working, you know, I think Garoppolo gives them a, a better chance because Garoppolo is a player that the other players gravitate towards. Now, can he stay healthy? I think that's the big if, right? I think Devontae yeah. Adams will be, be a really good player, will be have a better season for the Raiders this year. The one thing about the Raiders offensively, when he made the comment about, I don't know where this all fits. To me, the Raiders' offense is not a playbook offense. It's a game-specific offense. And part of being that game-specific offense is they're going to find a way to get the ball to Devontae Adams, whether he's in the slot, whether he's playing outside, whether he has to, you know, whether they move him, wherever they make him go. It's hard to double him the way they move him and push him around. It's a little bit like with Kelsey, the way they do that in Kansas City. So, look, they have some skill now. Look, they, the one of the things I think, they lacked is they didn't get any offensive linemen to really help their team. That's going to be the hard part, right? But with Jacobs and with Adams and with the tight end situation, if Michael Mayer is a good player, you know they're they're going to be able to move the ball because they did last year. Yeah, no, they did move the football last year. They just couldn't close out those close games that we talked about, and it's probably part of the reason why they drafted Tyree Wilson to get some more pass rush out there to be able to close out a game like the LA Rams on Thursday night football, which it's like, I'm sure they're still kicking themselves over that one. Cause they were actually in the thick of the playoff race. Had they not dropped that game in Los Angeles there, uh, Michael, let's move on to uh, social media scrubbing season. Uh, you see our latest <laughs> candidate in this game here, Jets defensive tackle, Quinn and Williams. He removed oh. the Jets portion from his Twitter bio. And we know that like, this is, like, he's not asking for a trade. He's not asking to leave the Jets. This is just kind of the order of operation that it is these days. If you want a contract, you got to remove the team stuff from the social media protocol. to get the team's it's attention. Protocol. Yeah, it's protocol. It's protocol. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the protocol. Look, they, you know, he obviously it shouldn't be a hard contract to do, right? No. This should not be a hard contract for Jet the Jets to do, especially considering that Aaron Rodgers did you a solid that Aaron Rodgers did you a really good solid. I mean, the Jets have so many guys that they could get rid of in terms of giving that money to uh, to to Quentin Williams. They got to pay Quentin Williams. We know that all these defensive tackles have gotten signed, right? So, it, we Jeffrey Simmons, it, the. Is it you know, Deron he, Payne he got a contract? Payne got a new contract. You know, we see the Hargrave contract, right? So we, we yeah. kind of have a sense of this, right? So it's not a hard contract to do. And so when you look at the Jets, I mean, it's really, it's not that challenging. I mean, you know, they've got Carl Lawson that they're paying a lot of money to. Dwayne Brown's making $9 million. Corey Davis is at 10-5. Jordan Whitehead's at six seven five zero. I mean, they could, C.J. Mosley's going to make $17 million next year. So if they just kind of went through and, and, and reallocated some of that money from these guys to their best player on defense, which is Quentin Williams, it's an easy mm-hmm. contract to do. They've got to sign Williams. And they need to do it before the season starts so that they can have something in place. I, I'm shocked if they wouldn't do it. To me, there are certain players that you as an executive, we've we, we got to get that one done. Like we got to get that one done. Like that's really important. If we're not going to pay, you know, we're going to pay him. It's one of the best. 
And he's one of the best three techniques in football. You can't, people don't understand how hard it is to find three techniques that can do two things really well, that can rush the passer and dominate the run game. Everybody thinks they have one, but they're few and far between. And when you have one like Quentin Williams, the way he plays, you better sign him. No, he's a hell of a player, and he is the straw that stirs the drink for the New York Jets defense and allows them to be as elite as they are here. Now, there's this note that came from uh, your boy Field Yates over at ESPN. He said that the Jets defensive end Carl Lawson has agreed to a reworked deal per the source. Lawson was due a non-guaranteed $15 million, but is now due a base value of $9 million. $8 million of that is guaranteed. He has $3 million more available incentives. The move creates $12.7 million in 2023 cap space for the Jets. I would anticipate that is cap space that was created for a deal to sign Quinn and Williams. Well, yeah, exactly. Considering that they, you know, they didn't, they didn't have to make any move. Everybody in the league was anticipating them having to do something with Mosley, do something with Lawson, do something with Brown, do something with Corey Davis uh, or Whitehead before they brought Rodgers in, right? But Rodgers did them a huge solid and said, "Hey, we'll we'll deal with this next off season. We'll move the money around." And so they have a ton of cap. They 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 are now able to sign Quentin Williams. To me, what Rodgers did signaled that they're going to sign Quentin Williams to a deal, and they'll have the cap room to do it this year, and they can move forward. So, you know, to me, carrying Corey Davis on their roster at ten, I don't know what they're doing. They signed Randall Cobb. They they signed Lassard, like. Like, why are you – Corey Davis isn't – you're not paying Corey Davis $10.5 million to be a fifth receiver. Either trade him or cut him. Yeah. And well, the beautiful thing about Corey Davis is they pick up – basically they pick up almost $10 million when they cut him. Like, I don't know what they're holding on to him for. For depth? He signed Randall Cobb. Like, you know, you're not, he's not getting on the – I mean, Randall Cobb is not the – isn't even the – he's the fourth receiver. Corey Davis is the fifth. Denzel Mims is the sixth. Yeah, I feel like Mims, that's one where I think maybe a team will call them because it was a second round pick, I think. And I mean, there's some talent there. He just never really found his footing. Well, he could run, but the problem is the problem with him is Femi is he just doesn't play, you know, consistently tough enough all the time. I mean, he's I mean, I watched him every game at Baylor and, you know, he's got he's got a lot of talent and he can run fast and he can play it play on the outside but there is part of his game that needs to kind of get more strength more urgency and look they haven't played with a good quarterback either so you might want to think that could be a problem as well real quick here joe burrow in the cincinnati Bengals. as we continue this contract extension talk here he said this about the pending contract negotiations that he has with the Bengals. Quote, I'm pretty clear on what I want in the contract and what I think is best for myself and the team. So we're on the road to making that happen. My guess is that he's on the road to becoming the richest quarterback in NFL history with the deal he's probably going to sign here in coming days. I, I'm not sure about that, Femi. I think the way he worded oh. that was he's going to do what he what he's going to. I think he's going to do what Mahomes did. He's not going to he's not going to leave ten million dollars a year on the table. But I think he understands that he's got to be able to be willing to make some sacrifices over the long haul. You know, Jalen Hurts did that. The way Jalen Hurts' money is spread out and the cap charges that the Eagles get, that's critical. 
And I think mm-hmm. Burrow's smart enough to know that how he works this contract, how he handles this contract, is really important for his ability to add more talent around him. How do we keep how do we keep the players we have? I, I think that's really, really critical. You know, the receivers, Tyler Board's gonna be a free agent. You know, they need to keep all these guys that they have or else he's not gonna be the same player. I mean, he's gonna need to replace replenish those. Yeah. And Hurts, while giving the team a solid, still became the highest paid QB in yeah, NFL history. Exactly. Now that was eclipsed by Lamar Jackson. So that's what I meant by like, I think he's going to become the highest paid guy, but it's probably going to be like a Hurts plus one or something like that type of a deal there, which would be good for the Bengals and be good for Joe Burrow as that team is a thought of as a Super Bowl contender and right with the talent they have on that roster. All right, we're going to take another break here on GM Shuffle. Let's talk about some rookies on the upside. Who can make an impact in year one? We discuss it next. to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Before we get into the rookies and who might make the impact in year one, we'll talk some offensive rookie and defensive rookie of the year. Michael, I wanted to ask you about Matt Ryan, the Indianapolis Colts quarterback, not retiring. He says he's not retiring. However, he did take an NFL analyst job for our friends over at CBS there. So uh, Matt Ryan, there's been questions on social media and I wanted to get your thoughts on this because you are writing football done right. That book is coming out later on this fall. We cannot wait to, wait to read it. And September a lot of it 5th. Sent, September 5th. Okay. We have a date already. Perfect. Yep, September that. 5th. It's released. You can pre-order now wherever you get your books are sold. Uh, right. Your favorite bookseller. So you can pre-order the book there. And uh, which one gets uh, you the most money? Uh, Huh? I said, I said, who should I order from to get you the most money? Whatever your favorite bookseller is. It doesn't matter. I don't think it affects it at all. Okay. I, I think to me, uh, one of the things about uh, being in the Hall of Fame, writing this book is you kind of go through it. The reason Matt Ryan was very emphatic that he's not retiring. So we're clear here. Yep. Is if he retires, and announces his retirement, then the Colts can then come back and ask him for signing bonus money because he's not fulfilling his contract. So they can't keep him from taking a job or saying, I don't want to play, but if he files his retirement papers, then it's over. Now, what he earns from CBS will be offset from the guarantee that the Colts owe him. So say they pay him 10000 a game for 17 games, that's 170000 That comes off because of the way offset money is, and I don't know how it's written in Ryan's contract, but oftentimes, at least for coaches, contracts, and executives, whatever money you earn outside of the football world, if it's related to football, comes off your guarantee. So obviously it's CBS isn't going to have to pay him a lot of money, but the reason he was emphatic that he's not retiring is because – he doesn't want to have to do that. And that's the smart thing to do. So, you know, he enters in, is he a hall of fame player? You know, having written this book, I don't think he is. I think he's a real, I think he's good. I think he's a really good player. I don't think he ever was a top five player in the league. I think he was always a borderline top 10. And I don't think you could ever be in the hall if that's your case. Right. So, you know, he played 15 years in the league. uh, And, I, you know, I think when you look at it, he had 15 years in the league and, 
you know, the great season of 15 with Kyle Shanahan was by far his best. I think he's yeah. made like four Pro Bowls. He was Offensive Rookie of the Year his first year. But after that 15 season, 17, he didn't really win any awards or or, sick, or separate himself to me from any of those in those categories, which would allow him to get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree. And I, I think I'm not a Hall of Fame voter. I think everybody knows that. <laughs> but I think if, if I did have a vote, I would be one of the people that's a little bit stricter and have a little bit higher standards for my Hall of Fame. And and this is not to throw shade at Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan was an awesome quarterback. He's going to get a ring of honor induction in the Atlanta Falcons stadium, which he deserves. Like they should retire his number. He was a hell of a quarterback for that franchise, especially given when he joined that organization that was after Michael Vick had gone to jail and all that. And like, it was a tough time for the Atlanta Falcons. And he was kind of the, the guy that helped get them out of that. But when we're talking about hall of fame, he just doesn't meet those standards for me. And there's a lot of quarterbacks yeah. who currently are playing that don't meet those standards who might get consideration. But I just think that we're letting, we're letting too many people into the hall. It's the Deion Sanders line that you always like to bring up here. It's like, Hey, like my jacket's different than that guy's jacket. And we got to right. limit the amount of those that we put in. I mean, he's got four Pro Bowls in, in his 15-year career. He, he won no championships, okay? Uh, you know, now, Fran Tarkenton's in the Hall of Fame. He had nine Pro Bowls. When the Pro Bowl meant something, he didn't win any championships. Dan Marino had nine Pro Bowls, didn't win any championships. You know, the interesting thing is, when you look at the numbers over the landscape, Eli Manning's numbers are, you know, obviously Eli Manning's numbers are two championships, four Pro Bowls. Are those championships going to get him into the hall? Because his numbers don't belong in the hall, what he did. Now, how much are you valuing the championships, right? So when you break down players that won championships, right? Earl Morrow won three championships. Now, he wasn't the starting quarterback. Twice he was. Ben Roethlisberger won two. Mahomes has already won two. Len Dawson won two. But when you go down the list, Favre's in there with one. But his numbers are incredible. I mean, his numbers offset that. Yep. Namus numbers don't offset it, but he won one. I think Namus more in the Hall of Fame because of the advancement of the game more than his yep. career, which was which was hindered by a lot of injuries. So when you go through it, you know Jim Kelly's in the Hall of Fame. His numbers don't really are Hall of Fame worthy when you break it down. He played eleven seasons in the league, which isn't a lot for a quarterback. He went to five Pro Bowls. You know, and never won a championship. But he went to four Super Bowls, but he never won one. So he's getting credit for going to the Super Bowl. See how this is all kind of spreads it out? Like, mm-hmm. there has to be a criteria. What What are we valuing more? Championships? Super Bowls? Going? Playoffs? Pro Bowls? I mean, Ricky, I mean, Tyler Huntley just went to the Pro Bowl. You know, does that make him a, you know, does that make him a Hall of Fame candidate five years from now? I mean, because no. we know the Hall of Pro Bowl is a joke now. Back in the day when Tarkenton went, it wasn't. Yeah, no, and I think the you could see the visible stress on my face when you mentioned Eli Manning. I, I'm sure he's probably going to get in because of the cachet that he has, but that that's, he, he does not belong. He doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Like, I, I get two Super Bowls two great Super Bowl runs, but he's a 500 quarterback who was never a top five quarterback in his career. Like that's not a hall of famer to me. Like right. put so him in the Jim, ring of honor, let the giants honor him, but don't put him in Canton. Jim Kelly, Warren moon, Dan Fouts, Fran Tarkenton, Dan Marino. All those guys are in the hall of fame who, who never won a title, never won one. 
So, you know, I think you have to kind of, you have to balance that. Eli Manning's numbers as a two, uh, two titles. I mean, his numbers, just for the record, his numbers over his career are better than Bob Greasy's and Len Dawson's. And both those guys are in the Hall of Fame. But I mean, See, it's also what, a what happens era to the Hall well. of Fame, though, Femi. What happens with the Hall of Fame is, is once you let one in, once you let Namath in, you know, once you now all of a sudden it's like a draft board. You set the board to somebody that you let in. I'm not saying Joe doesn't belong. I think Joe belongs for his advancement, the prediction, yeah. the the enthusiasm he brought to the game, his career. He certainly was really talented, but the injuries affected him. Mm-hmm. It really affected him. You know, Staubach's in the Hall of Fame. He won two Super Bowls, right? He only played eight years. He went to the Pro Bowl six times. Yeah. No, it's it's a really interesting discussion. I think we're going to have more of it later on this offseason, especially when we start getting closer to September 5th when your book comes out. But, yeah, there's some of these quarterbacks that people talk about, like Phillip Rivers, Matthew Stafford. Like, none of those guys are Hall of Famers to me. And, like, those, they were awesome. Like, Rivers was awesome in his prime. Stafford has had some really good peaks. But we talk about how the Pro Bowl has become a joke. It's been a joke for a while, and he's only made like two or three of them. Like you would yeah. think that he would get in as an alternate because everyone's getting in. Everyone gets an invite, but for some reason, he never got an invite. That in itself should tell you that, hey, he's accumulated a lot of stats because of the era that he played in, but he was never thought of as one of the five best quarterbacks. And, that, and that's kind of my my barrier. Yeah, yeah. It's like, were you thought of as one of the five best players at your position during your peak over a long period of time? No question. I agree with that. And there should be wings of the hall. I mean, there should be wings of the hall, and they're not. Yeah. We got to separate it. Dion was right. Uh, <laughs> let's get on to the rookies. And you wrote this article for VEASAN.com. Make sure you check that out over at VEASAN.com. Michael writes an article each and every week there, something that's on his mind with football. And you wanted to break down the rookie of the year candidates here. And I'll let you kind of set this one up here because you have some interesting names for offensive rookie of the year that I think people might not have thought of off the top of their heads. Well, I think, first of all, you got to understand that, you know, rookies, when they come into the NFL, they're not ready. I mean, I was talking to a head coach today about his rookies, and and he basically was talking about how he made sure that, you know, he separated a lot of the guys in rookie camp because – they just weren't ready to practice. They've been out. They've been out on the circuit. They've been, you know, I got to go here. I got to go there. I got to take a physical here. I got to take a. They're not ready to play, and so that that can hurt the evaluation process because fans think the rookies are in great shape, but they're not. They're not anywhere near the physical conditioning that you need to be an NFL player. And so what often happens is a guy comes in, he's not in great shape. There's a perception immediately, well, that guy's not a good player. Coaches are so quick to judge the guy. He doesn't look very good. You know, well, he's not in shape. Let's not make any, let's not make any evaluations of these players until we find out, are they in shape? Now, we got to evaluate their work habits. we got to evaluate their competitiveness because that's going to lead us if they can get in shape. So I think that's a misnomer. And I use this, the Navy SEALs as an analogy because of the 175 candidates that make the Navy SEALs, 17% get their trident butt. That's a low percentage, right? But that's pretty much the percentage of who's really going to make an impact. And you've got to go to a team that needs your services, that has the, your, your skill set really enhances, like Dalton Kincaid. It's a great match for Buffalo. He's a good receiver. He can block. They've got Dawson Knox. They're going to play some 12. He catches the ball. He's tough-minded. 
He's physical. He'll get a lot of opportunities in that offense. I think he's going to really make them better, especially if they can run the ball more effectively with power. So I think he's a guy that could be a rookie of the year candidate. I think the other guy, I think Gibbs from Alabama, who's now at Detroit, he replaces Swift. You know, Swift was really good for them and got a lot of targets in Detroit, but he wasn't always healthy. Those targets are now going to go to Gibbs, and those numbers are going to really allow Gibbs to take a shine forward. Laporte, the other kid that Detroit drafted, I didn't put him in the article, Femi, but you know that tight end situation there is going to enhance him to get the ball quite a bit. So what I tried to do is I tried to take certain players that have an opportunity in the situation that they're in to really show their skill sets, like Banks from the, the Giants, the corner. Well, the, the Giants pressure quite a bit. And the ball comes out early. And if you have ball skills and you're aware, then you're going to intercept the ball. And, and if you intercept the ball, you got a chance to be defensive rookie of the year. Same thing with Emmanuel Forbes. But the difference with Emmanuel Forbes in Washington is Washington rushes four. They don't get instant pressure. They get eventual pressure. That doesn't always create turnovers, which is why they only had nine interceptions last year. Mm. No, I think that's a great break. I think you also listed the Seahawks wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba can be playing that slot. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, that's one of the better wide receiver rooms across the league. No, and now the pressure, he's a great slot receiver. He understands how to play in the slot. See, we assume players know how to play in the slot. It's a different game. You've got to be physical. You've got to be tough to play in there. You know you're going to get hit. You've got to win instantly. You've got to win early in the route. And so you've got to be able to make tough catches inside, and you've got to be able to challenge man-to-man. And I think he has that kind of ability to do this, and he's going to get the ball because they've got Noah Fant, they've got DK Metcalf, and they've got Lockett. They've got a lot of good players on the, in that offense to go along with, which I think the key to spread formations is. And I don't know what the analytical community would say, but to me, from a defensive standpoint, the back makes the spread. If the back is elite in terms of running and catching and route distri- and route ability, how the, what routes he runs and pass and can pass protect, it makes the spread so much better. Mm-hmm. Now I did notice none of the quarterbacks listed for your offensive rookie of the year. Quarterbacks have won this award eight times, I believe, since two thousand and two. A lot of them have been highly drafted quarterbacks in the first round, Dak Prescott being the only one who was a mid-round pick. Uh, Why did you leave the quarterbacks off this list? Because I think it's so hard for them to really kind of, you know, to be elite. I mean, the greatest, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Joe Montana didn't play early. You know, Peyton Manning played early but wasn't successful. Aikman played early, wasn't successful. It's hard. You know, it's going to be hard for C.J. Stroud to come in there and showcase it. He's got a lot to learn. Remember, the Saturday game to the Sunday game is completely different. So it's going to take some time. The only guy that I mentioned that I thought could win rookie of the year, and if he plays and Carolina goes to the playoffs, he'll win it, is Bryce Young. But that's an obvious one, right? Bryce Young's ready to play right now. Will Levis is not ready to play right now. C.J. Stroud's not ready. He might. I know Anthony Richardson, they're all saying he's ready to play, but – you remember, rookie minicamp and OTA days are a hell of a lot different than getting ready to play on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, the early returns of rookie minicamp are off the charts for Elliott's guy, Anthony Richardson. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition this fall. Would you say it's fair? Because I feel like this is kind of a common thing with some of the pass rushers. Would you say that pass defensive end and edge rushing guys, is it also hard to make that transition going from Saturday to Sunday? Like, cause you didn't list any of those guys as well here on the list, at least that we have in this rundown. Well, the problem is most of those guys go to bad teams. 
And so when they go to bad teams, they never play from in front. They never play from in front, which helps them rush the passer, right? So when you go to a bad team and you're playing from behind all the time, you can't really turn your jets on and rush. So then you don't get the sacks or the pressures that you need. One of Makai Parsons was able to do it as a rookie because he was dominant. But, you know, they played from in front and they moved him around quite a bit. You know, I, I think it's hard. I think, you know, Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson. I mean, if the Raiders play from in front and he's healthy, he could easily be it because he could rush. You know, I didn't put Weatherspoon in there as a corner because I think Weatherspoon will be really good. I think he could win deep. Is, you know, how many, where is all the balls going in that area? It's hard. You got you to gotta have the interceptions to win rookie of the year. You can be the best cover guy, but nobody pays attention to it. Well, they they paid attention to it with Sauce Gardner this past season because I'm still salty. I didn't win my defensive rookie of the year bet on Tariq Woolen, who just happened to lead the league in interceptions, but finished third in the voting. We're still we're still mad about that. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I think it's gonna be an interesting rookie class here. Like you said, like Bryce Young would be my choice for offensive rookie of the year because I think Carolina is gonna be better than people think, and I think that he's gonna be the reason why. And he's ready to play right now. As long as he stays healthy, they should be able to be contend for a playoff spot, if not win that division. And if he does that, he wins offensive rookie of the year. Defensive rookie, I think it's a crapshoot. I got to watch the first two to three games first to see who the hell wins that one. But we have a lot of time to break down those awards coming up later on this offseason. But Michael, that does it for this edition of the podcast. Thank you to our producer, Elliot Bowman, on the ones and twos, as always. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to VEASAN. Thank you to all of the listeners and the viewers. We appreciate all the support. Subscribe, rate, and review. Continue to pump those numbers up so we can continue to pump out these episodes. Michael, what are you doing the rest of the Thank weekend, you. man? It's, it's, it's the yeah, week I will. Before, I'll look forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait. Hopefully they'll weekend. include me on the 76er coaching interviews, even though we think it's going to be D'Antonio. Could you imagine Embiid in D'Antonio's offense? Could you imagine him? I mean, they're going to have to have an oxygen tank halfway up the court so he can suck oxygen as he's going back and forth. Could you imagine that? Seven seconds or less is what they call it. <laughs> we'll see it. if you can get up and down the floor. Uh, you can be watching the PGA Championship this weekend. We got of another course. major. I love this watching golf. I love watching yeah. golf on TV. I, I love it. I think it's awesome. I, I'll watch it. Yeah, I wa- yeah. I mean, I watch the NBA. I watch Jimmy Butler. You know, he won yeah, last yeah. night. I mean, I'll he watch did. him. You know, we pick we you know the we pick Ben Simmons over him. No big deal. No problem. You know, he's Jimmy was a little hard to t- he wasn't easy to get along with. Right. Yeah, okay. Was, yeah, well, he wins. <laughs> so there's that. I guess we're not interested in that. But it's an elite sports weekend. PGA Championship, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs. We see you hockey fans. It's and, out there. And, and the, the Preakness. Preakness on Saturday. Yeah, the Preakness yeah. stakes. I'm about to go record the Preakness preview show here at VEASAN. So uh, I'm going to have some winners for you uh, tomorrow when we do the Lombardi line. So uh, I guess I'll Great. talk to you then, buddy. Be well. Thank you, Femi. I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs>